0: to Work of Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Justin Soder, and this evening, as always, I had the privilege of sharing the company with Father Anthony Ciccata, Assistant Pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and author of the book, Work of Human Hands. Father, thanks again for joining us.
1: Happy to be here once again.
0: We move into the next installment of our program here, which is going to focus on Chapter 6 of your book, uh, Work of Human Hands, and, and which is entitled, The Cleverness of the Revisors. Before we get started on this, um, we were talking pre-show that you are looking to reprint Work of Human Hands, is that correct? Oh yes, that's correct. And uh, we've uh,
1: sold through the first printing and uh, it actually uh, sells fairly decently every month. Word has has really gotten around the world. So um, our supply is running rather low and we're going to have to raise some money to reprint it. So. if you are on our uh, uh, mailing list or if you're on Twitter, at uh, some point fairly soon in the future you'll be getting a communication from me of uh, how you can donate uh, and how you can help with reprinting this book. It's uh, uh, it turned out to be something that consistently uh, people are interested in. and We get orders for it quite consistently from many different parts of the world. So any help then would be appreciated.
0: And this is really a great book. Everybody should pick it up. And this book (laughs) is not on the Index of Forbidden Books, uh, but it is for some people. Isn't that right, Father? I heard a a dirty rumor. That's
1: that's actually what I heard today. I had a very interesting phone call from a um, a young gentleman, a a uh, 30-ish gentleman, who had a number of uh, contemporary friends in a place called the... Uh, Pontifical College Josephinum, which is located on the north side of, of Columbus. It uh, takes seminarians from all over the United States, indeed from all over the world. It, for many years, had a uh, reputation as uh, being a conservative place, then a very liberal place. Uh, apparently, there are seminarians up there who are. Rather interested in a number of things that i've I've written, so uh, <clears throat> they've been told apparently that uh father you're forbidden to read the writings of Father Anthony Chicotta. so I guess that that's uh, that's a new one for me that I make it into the the hell section of the library and Chicotta <laughs> goes in, and Teilhard de Chardin goes out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh man! So well, my my sympathies to those young men in in prison. I know what it is to function under a uh, liberal regime that um, uh, spurns things that are traditional or conservative. I might uh, interject here that um, I was part of a um, uh, persecuted group of uh, conservative seminarians in the late 60s and early uh, 1970s in my seminary in Milwaukee. And in fact, they referred to the three ringleaders, of which I was one, as uh, uh, Ottaviani and and Bacci and Cicognoni. So I always, I guess, especially
0: identified with one of the subjects of this evening's show. Well, this is, uh, I think most of our listeners are aware, Father, you know, if you spend any time in the traditional circles, uh, you know, no no matter where you find yourself, you've definitely heard the name, you know, Cardinal Ottaviani. You've heard the Ottaviani intervention. And um, I think to start the program off here this evening, let's just take maybe one of those—I um, kind of hate this phrase—that thirty-thousand-foot view of kind of an overall synopsis of the resistance to the new mass at the part of nineteen at the point of nineteen sixty-nine, where we start off here right now, and let's let's kind of move forward from that point there. Like you know, what was the what was the resistance like to the Novus Ordo in sixty-nine?
1: Well, the uh, you have to go back a little bit before that, and there was resistance and and uh, a great deal of unease at the um, changes that were made in the uh, traditional mass, the different subtractions, and these we were told were going to reflect what was going to come down the line in when the pope finally would issue a new order of mass. So the what what happened is the a new order of mass was uh, issued finally in uh, 1969 and there was a uh, reaction against it and the puzz- a puzzlement on the part of some people i know that in uh, my own case uh, i was appalled by the different liturgical abuses i was seeing in the 60s with the intermediate rite that had been introduced and we were told that the uh, new order of Mass that Paul VI was uh, going to impose would settle all of these, these problems and do away with these abuses. My own personal reaction was when I got hold of it, I finally got a hold of the, the, new, um, uh, the new form of the Mass that he had promulgated, was a great deal of disappointment. And in fact, it seemed as if the abuses were institutionalized there. I think that was the reaction of uh, uh, of a lot of people uh, in uh, different parts of the world, and uh, uh, certainly in Europe as
0: well. In reading this uh, this chapter here, I have a quote that is just too good to pass up. Uh, This book uh, this is just maybe one of the best. Uh, the best quotes in the entire chapter here, talking about you know, the reaction to you know, the new mass and everything, and, and on page 142, here's a quote to share with our listeners. Certain Italians preferred a more dramatic approach, that is, you know, their, their reaction to the new mass. On 30th of November, 1969, the day that the Novus Ordo Missae was first supposed to be used throughout the world, Romans awakened to find that red dye had been poured into some of the Eternal City's most famous fountains. A pamphlet explained... Romans, today, 30 November 1969, the Reformers have decreed the death of the Holy Mass as it was celebrated through the ages throughout the entire world. Center of Christianity, raise a cry of anger and protest. The waters of Rome color themselves red just as the waters of Egypt turned into blood. Isn't that great, Father? That is a great (laughs) quote. I love it.
1: (laughs) I just love it. That is so Italian. Uh, the <laughs> the, the, the so reflects Italian culture. It could almost be a, a, a scene out of Tosca
0: or something like that. The, the, uh, the, the,
1: the whole sense of, of drama and everything is really
0: wonderful. <laughs> so, so, obviously, some people had some problems with, with the new mass, and uh, one of those people was, uh, was uh, Cardinal um, Ataviani. So maybe you could introduce Cardinal Ataviani to our listeners who, on the slight chance, they may not be familiar with who he was. Well, Taviani was uh, a, um,
1: an official of the Holy Office, which was the um, papal uh, office or of the papal ministry that was uh, charged with uh, defending the, the purity of Catholic doctrine. And he um, was, was an assessor of the Holy Office and eventually was appointed the head of the Holy Office. He uh, had a uh, good... Understanding obviously, in that position of, of Catholic uh, doctrine, he understood uh, very well the uh, modern errors because uh, he himself had been involved in the uh, condemnation of what was called the new theology, the modernist theology that sort of uh, led to the Second Vatican Council. There were a number of uh, theologians who actually were silenced by the Holy Office so he was familiar with the uh, modern errors that uh, uh, surrounded the church. When the Second Vatican Council came along, he was of uh, that party that would be called the conservative, or the uh, traditional uh, party of Vatican II. He was in charge of preparing the different schemas for the fathers to vote on, initially, uh, the schema on, on uh, the church uh, being one of them. Uh, when the liberals managed to hijack the Second Vatican Council, they uh, did away with the schemas that Cardinal Ottaviani had um, proposed and the theology then of the council uh, uh took up bit by bit some of these these themes of the uh these uh, pre-vatican 2 theologians uh Taviani actually was uh, uh, humiliated publicly humiliated at uh, uh the council uh by the president of the council who turned his microphone off when uh he was speaking uh he was a man who that at that point had um, uh, suffered I guess uh, because of uh, his desire to adhere to uh, Catholic doctrine and to try to um, uh, extirpate or, uh, and minimize modern errors so uh, that was the uh, position of uh, Ottaviani essentially Vatican two. he was one of the guys on the good side
0: mm-hmm. I think um, in reading what you were saying about Ottaviani, this—he w- sort of laid out a a real battle plan against the new mass that, unfortunately, uh, not everyone followed. And that was you say that he was rejecting the new mass on the grounds of doctrinal and moral concerns, certainly not aesthetics or preference. And you know, I think those um, those who seriously understand the issue still to this day attack it from a doctrinal position. And I don't know why it seems that somewhere along the line, you know, quote-unquote, our side, you moved away from that. But this is clearly the way this should be attacked, correct? Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, The the problem with the new mass is
1: uh, there's an underlying doctrinal problem. It destroys uh, Catholic doctrine in in the minds of Catholics, A, and B, it is uh, irreverent in the way in which it is uh, uh, celebrated even if it is celebrated in in latin uh according to the strictly according to what is uh, written down in the missal of uh, paul the sixth so it it, um, it is not a, so it's it's a doctrinal and the moral issue it's not a question of uh, aesthetics in the traditionalist m- movement it was not um, uh Initially, a question of uh, aesthetics at all and, and nostalgia and um, consideration for the past or art or anything like that. Those were elements that people complained about in the New Mass, for instance, the awful music, but uh, that really was not the point of the uh, initial traditionalist resistance. And it was um, uh, laid out uh, uh, a little bit when the New Mass came out. Uh, the beginning, but it was the Ottaviani intervention uh, that um, really solidified the traditionalist resistance and, and really gave them meaty uh, doctrinal points, uh, uh, doctrinal complaints uh, about the new order of the mass. Mm.
0: So, I uh, guess jumping right here into the you know, the thousand pound elephant in the room, what exactly was the Ottaviani, excuse me, the Ottaviani intervention, Father?
1: Okay, um, that is the um, standard English title uh, that refers to two documents. Uh, one, uh, The first document was a letter signed by uh, Cardinal Ottaviani and Cardinal Bacci, a letter to Paul VI, uh, warning in a general fashion of the uh, doctrinal uh, and uh, we could say moral dangers of the new mass. And endorsing the contents of a second document, which is a little, uh, uh, quite a bit longer, which uh, was called the short critical examination of uh, the new order of mass by a group of, of Roman theologians. That was its, its full title. And in English, uh, and in a number of other languages, however, it came to be known as the Ottaviani intervention.
0: So it was, it was okay. these, these uh, uh, two documents. Some of the people involved with the documents, uh, helping prepare them and whatnot, uh, one of the names that comes up is a Father Gerard de Can you explain to our listeners who he was and what his involvement in this was? Sure, he was a, uh, a Dominican, a
1: uh, uh, Roman uh, theologian. He had, uh, had taught at a famous uh, uh, Dominican theological institute in France. He also was uh, teaching in Rome. Uh, he. It is said, uh, worked on the proclamation of the dogma of the Assumption by um, uh, Pius XII in uh, the year 1950. So he, he had a uh, reputation, a good reputation as a theologian, uh, and uh, a good reputation as a teacher. In fact, he was uh, one of my teachers when I was in the Pius X Society Seminary in the Switzerland, in the 70s. He was a, a, a very interesting and very devout man. Uh, he, Roman uh, society, really Catholic and conservative Roman society, has uh, many connections uh, among members of the hierarchy. And uh, some of the, uh, the Catholics in these, these higher social circles, uh, when they saw the New order, order of Mass, were really properly terrified, and they tried to... Uh, put together a, a group of, of clerics who would do something about it. So uh, one of the women uh, uh, involved knew Cardinal Ottaviani, and uh, got him involved, and a number of other cardinals. And they also had contacts with uh, uh, different Roman clergy and theologians, among them uh, Gerard Delorier. So they discussed this project of putting together uh, a critique of the New Order of Mass, which had come out in April of '69, and have Ottaviani um, uh, endorse and, and uh, uh,
0: other cardinals endorse the critique and present it to Paul VI. So we're going to speak about some of the principal objections as you lay them out in the chapter here. And um, we have to start with a million-dollar quote that I think most people have heard at some point in time or another. And this is, this is the quote, Coming from the letters of Cardinals Ottaviani and Bocchi to Paul VI, it says here, quote, considering the new elements susceptible to widely different interpretations which are implied or taken for granted, represents both as a whole and in its details a striking departure from the Catholic theology of the Mass as it was formulated in session 22 of the Council of Trent. So those words "striking departure, Father." those are kind of the, you know, the words heard around the world, so to speak, on this issue. And I think that if what were truly understood by traditional Catholics. I think the entire landscape would be radically different today. Do you agree? Oh,
1: yes, indeed. Uh, yes, indeed, I do agree. Um, the, uh, what, what happened is that uh, I would say for the most part, in the uh, traditional movement. Uh, until uh, 1984, uh, those who identify themselves as traditional Catholics who went to the uh, Old Mass had this very clear understanding that the New Mass was, at, as it was said, a great sacrilege, that it was uh, inimical to Catholic doctrine, uh, etc. Uh, it was only in 1984 when um, uh, John Paul II. Uh, gave out the famous uh, indult, promulgated the famous indult, allowing the celebration of uh, a form of the Old Mass under the auspices of different dioceses, that the aesthetic element really started to creep in. Uh, you began to see that um, uh, uh, this very much in, in the popular literature about it, that uh, people who went to this. Um, Uh, these uh, officially permitted celebrations of uh, a form of the old mass, that many of them were into it for the aesthetics, for the nice music, for the beautiful vestments. You have a a, a good church of precise rubrics and and, uh, uh, loads of smoke from the incense pot, etc. And there really wasn't a a, a doctrinal doctrinal foundation behind it as much as it was preference and aesthetics. And that, of course, was the, uh, was the point very much with, um, uh, with the indult that uh, <laughs> it stated very specifically that uh, Catholics uh, who go to this should make it clear that uh, they don't object to the doctrinal um, rectitude or the legitimacy or the validity of uh, the new right, that it's simply preference.
0: So, we discussed the first principle of objection, which was the the striking departure from Catholic theology. there were There were a total of eight objections which you point out in your book, Father, and I was going to have you go through some of these. Yeah, the next one on the list was uh, the, of the mass as the assembly versus uh, the mass as a sacrifice to God. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I know we've kind of covered some of these in other shows, so I'm not asking for a long, detailed answer, but you know I think these are these are points that can be, kind of be gone back over
1: well the the primary understanding of the nature of the mass in uh, traditional Catholic theology always was that it was a, a sacrifice offered to uh, Almighty God that serves the different ends um, the different purposes of of uh, prayer uh, propitiation thanksgiving, and so on uh, This was the uh, Traditional Catholic theology of the Mass, uh, expressed very clearly in the, the, the fathers and the writings of the great theologians of the Church, and certainly in the, the Council of Trent, the idea of the Mass as assembly is a uh, modernist notion. Uh, as we pointed out in a previous broadcast, that um, the modernists uh, uh, sought to substitute for the idea, of the, the primary idea of the Mass, as a sacrifice. So uh, the uh, concentration then was on the, what they call the primacy of the living assembly, uh, rather than on the masses of sacrifice offered to Almighty God in propitiation for sins and to honor the most blessed Trinity. So uh, it's, it's two different uh, theologies, in effect. Uh, the um, uh, sacrifice theology uh, one actually a modernist writer said is, is uh, essentialist in other words it's based on, on Thomism the idea of, of essences and so on uh, that er, er, really do not change and then the new idea, ideas assembly is based on the existential um, uh, theology of Vatican II. that um, uh, you know what you see is what you get WYSIWYG. so that's mm-hmm. the uh, you know, you see an assembly there, and that's what you get. So uh, this was a um, uh, crucial uh, crucial distinction, and the Ottaviani intervention the, uh, uh, brought that out.
0: I'm going to leave some of this to our listeners to actually read in the book, but I wanted to go over um, uh, the next point, which were some of the critical omissions of elements emphasizing Catholic teaching. Can you talk about some of those critical omissions?
1: Yeah. The uh, well, first and foremost, uh, the idea of transubstantiation, uh, the Catholic doctrine on the what what takes place at the mass at the consecration and uh, how our Lord is present. Uh, the authors of uh, the general I- instruction, as the Ottaviani intervention pointed out, managed to get through their their whole document. Which was supposed to be a theological um, explanation of the the new mass without mentioning transubstantiation once, and that of course is the doctrine that that is hated by Protestants and that is uh, rejected by modernists as well. So uh, that certainly is a um, uh, you know is, is a uh, critical omission of the uh, of what goes on. Uh, at mass so uh, that falls by the wayside the um, uh, elements that emphasize the uh, Catholic teaching that the Mass is a sacrifice of uh, propitiation uh, the, uh, the, the shift which we also discussed uh, of the consecration from uh, something that is taking place here and now into merely a historical uh, narrative uh, so there, there are a whole bunch of these, these changes and these omissions.
0: The remaining uh, the remaining principal objections that that we have here on the list are actually objections that we've covered in previous broadcasts, so I'm not going mm-hmm. to you know, spend valuable time this evening, but just to let our listeners know what they were, they argued against uh, the, uh, the reductions of the priesthood, the denial of the real presence, the change from sacrifice to Last Supper, the destruction of unity through endless options, what Father Chikata, uh identified as um, uh, deregulating the liturgy, and uh, number eight was uh, the principal objections of the ambiguous language. So again, we've covered those in previous broadcasts, so I want to move on here to talk about uh, this leak that you talk about in the book, that, that the critical study had not yet been published, and it was it was being finalized, but yet a... A French traditionalist priest leaked the document to Paul VI, and how this shattered a unified resistance. Because I believe it was Archbishop Lefebvre said he spoke of 600 bishops ready to sign this critical study. Uh, yes,
1: and apparently there was quite a bit of a um, quite a bit of uh, adverse reaction, you know, among the, the uh, among the upper clergy t- uh, to this. The idea was that uh, you'd you'd get a whole. Um, List of of bishops to sign the uh, the covering letter to give it more force with Fall of six, one of the uh, ones who uh, was, in addition to Lefebvre, who was also on the list was uh, Arcadio Cardinal Larona and he was the former head of the Sacred Congregation of Rights, so uh, they had heavy hitters lined up. Uh, what happened is that um, uh, there's a traditionalist priest in France, uh, Father Noel Barbara, who unfortunately decided on his own that uh, he, he'd seen a copy of this and that he was going to publish it. Well, what happened uh, is that uh, when um, uh, this text was leaked and word of it got out, the, uh, this scared off the other signers because they wanted uh, the letter initially to be. Um, uh, to Paul the to be confidential, mm-hmm. and uh, to be put there's a special table apparently in the papal apartments where you put things like this, mm-hmm. and they wanted him to receive it cons- uh, confidentially and review it. Well, uh, by leaking the document, then uh, it became a, a celebre in uh, uh, the press. So, uh, Ottaviani and Bocci, um, as soon as they became aware of this. Um, uh, signed the letter, had it uh, delivered with the intervention to uh, Paul VI, and then uh, that was that, and the, the um, uh, consequences came thereafter. It became a big uh, issue in the, uh, very big issue in, in, in the press.
0: Why do you suspect that it shattered, you know, the unified resistance that you talk about? Well, the,
1: um, uh, You have to remember, of course, that these men were uh, conservatives uh, and came out of the pre-Vatican II institution. They uh, had been taught the traditional Catholic faith, and one of the things that uh, uh, they were taught, as I was taught, is respect for the Roman pontiff, that you do not want to uh, uh, do anything that appears to be against the Roman pontiff. So uh, they uh, apparently tried to do this th- th- uh, discreetly so it, it, it would not give the wrong impression, which actually would be the right impression, in in, in public. And uh, the fact that uh, uh, they were um, prevented from doing this then, then scared them off. You also have the uh, Italian uh, concept of Bella figura which is a little bit hard to translate, but it means essentially something like keeping a good face on everything and not, not um, want, wanting to give the appearance of making waves and always being polite and so on. And that's very much a part of the, the Vatican culture, Bella, Bella Figura. So they, they backed off, but uh, uh, not Ottaviani and not Bacci
0: For those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Work of Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to you by Roman Catholic Archive. I am your host, Justin Soder, and this evening I am joined by Father Anthony Chicada, and we are talking about Chapter 6 of his book, Work of Human Hands, entitled The Cleverness of the Revisors, and we've been speaking about the Ataviani Intervention. We'd like to remind you that Work of Human Hands is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at mail at truerestoration.org. If you're listening to our show on iTunes or Stitcher, please make sure to leave us ratings and reviews. It helps us, uh, for those who are looking for truly Catholic programming, to more easily find our work. So, Father, I, I, I guess the question next has to be, what was Rome's reaction to this critical study?
1: Well, it was quite a bombshell. I would imagine, and uh, the uh, idea that you had uh, uh, two cardinals, two curial cardinals, uh, endorsing a study of uh, the new mass that eventually said, or that that uh, not in effect, but uh, actually said that it was the mass of Luther and and that it was it harmed it harmed Catholic doctrine. So there naturally would be uh, there naturally would be an uproar uh, about it, and it um, uh, caught Paul VI by surprise. It caught the um, uh, modernists who had uh, created the new mass by surprise as well, and, and they started to scramble. Uh, they, uh, Annibale Budnini and uh, the other men involved in the creation of uh, the new mass uh, tried to uh, smooth things over by saying that well the uh, general instruction on the Roman Missal that had preceded the new order of mass wasn't supposed to be theological after all it was just a, a pastoral and a rubrical type of, of uh, document there was really nothing wrong with it it, it did not in fact um, uh, compromise Catholic doctrine but uh, the uh, that was the standard party line and really continued to be the standard party line until many years after the um, uh, uh, new missile was published, but more and more documents became available, uh, which made it clear that, in fact, it was a uh, theological statement, a statement of theological principles that guided the um, creation of the new mass because we find incriminating statements from the men who were involved in its, its creation, uh, uh, statements that uh, they had, had um, made to different groups, articles that they had written in different publications, and so on. So all of this was, was on the record. So they, uh, the creators of the New Mass ended up being caught out. But the question then was, well, what do you do with something like this? Um, the, uh, dispute was not really about to uh, die down. So Paul VI, in uh, November of 1969, gave uh, uh, two public audiences in which he tried to, to uh, defend it at great length the um, uh, the new mass uh, by saying that that. Um, uh, you know this is really supposed to regulate the liturgy from here on in uh, that uh, we 've lost nothing of of the reality of the substance of what the new mass is um, that we haven 't changed the church 's law of belief and so on, so he made these uh, different arguments and these different appeals to an attempt to uh, convince Catholics that there 's nothing wrong with it. The interesting thing was though that it, in um, the uh, order of the mass, that is to say the ordinary of the mass, had been promulgated in uh, April of 1969, and the uh, so it was just the, the, the more or less the fixed part of the mass. The um, uh, collects of the mass, the variable parts of the mass, had not been printed yet. Uh, they were going to be uh, printed by... Um, was supposed to be printed by uh, the beginning of november at least in in latin in 1969 but what happened is the otaviani intervention put this whole project off because Rome had to do something to handle these objections uh, and it it was if you followed such matters it was uh quite a dramatic development i remember reading the Ottaviani intervention Perhaps I mentioned this before on, the, on one of these series. and uh, It was published in the United States in a, um, a magazine called Triumph. Uh, and it was a, a very surprising thing to read that uh, these cardinals came out against the New Order of Mass and they I remember uh, thinking that, boy, they, ex- uh, they expressed many of the same worries that I had at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to pause here and I want to uh, you know, focus on a couple of these quotes from Paul the mm-hmm. and we, could, we you know we might we might file this under the uh you know the Paul the the liar file in in the file cabinet and and, and this oh, it's a uh, fat one this genera- yeah. it, it is a fat one, and we 'll just add two more quotes to it for you know, future reading um in his audience I, I, this was on the nineteenth of November of sixty nine when he was you know out mm-hmm. trying to publicly defend it uh he used a couple of phrases that i'm sure no one is surprised at in describing the new mass as a quote a restoration of uniformity and rights and quote an intensified harmony with a rejuvenated spirit. Unquote. Now, you know, this is this is more, you know, trying to throw snow on the dung heap here. But um, I think well, his the, most damaging. the, the, the question
1: is, what planet are you living on?
0: Because well, sure, <laughs> you
1: know, it, it's it's exactly the opposite of, of the reality of what the 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 uh, regulations. Uh, uh, guiding the new mass we're supp- supposed to be, so it was, it was totally unconnected with, uh, 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 with reality. I remember reading this myself too, and then you know, having looked at the new order of mass saying "Well, where 's this coming from what 's he talking about you know and I
0: was a nineteen year old then or an eighteen year old
1: <laughs> right it,
0: it, you know, this this ties back to the previous shows that we 've done talking about this this you know, weasel language of you know, where somehow the, you know, the new mass is this, you know, this, this great restoration and everything, which is just, you know, patently absurd. But I think his biggest, boldest lie here was when he said, quote, nothing of substance of the traditional mass has been altered, unquote. Now, as I read that, you know, I mean, it's hard not to laugh you know, whenever you hear that. But this statement reminds me a lot of, of this whole you know, Ratzinger um, uh, hermeneutic of continuity nonsense. Because... You know, we heard. You know, there was a, there was certainly this this great deal of effort made, you know, by him to bring up this idea of this you know hermeneutic of continuity that you know nothing in the council you know, you know made any break. The sacred tradition was just as you know just as solid and continuous as it was you know, before the council. But it certainly begs the question that look, if nothing had been changed, there would be no need to talk about things not changing. You know, if Vatican II was a, was you know, as as. You know, he proposed a continuation of an altered sacred tradition, there would be no need for a hermeneutic of continuity in the first place. Oh, that's precisely it. And
1: the, uh, what you see in both cases is uh, Paul VI and Benedict XVI uh, trying to uh, simply by force of words to impose on reality something that is not there. Uh, that simply is not there, and the uh, in the case of um, Benedict the Sixteenth and the hermeneutic of continuity, I think it was this the Roman theologian um, uh, at some Roman university, Monsignor Garardini, who wrote a book in which he said, well yes you you talk about this hermeneutic of continuity between uh, what was before Vatican II was what uh, was after, but no one can show us where it is, and that's what the problem is. You know, you can talk about it, but no one can show us this in the reality. It's the same thing here with Paul the Sixth that you know nothing of the substance has been changed, but uh, when you look at it, uh, you know uh, point by point, you see that uh, the whole cotton picking thing has been changed. If you just take that. Um, Um, statement and say you want to apply it to the uh, orations of the new mass, that uh, it's absolutely clear that only something like 13% of the uh, orations in the traditional missile were incorporated unchanged into the new missile. So that sounds fairly substantial to me. So that's mm-hmm. the problem. By by words, they're seeking to impose something on reality that just isn't there.
0: I'd like to talk about at this point, Father, um, one of the... Uh, you know, the traditionalist rumors that go around about, you know, Paul VI putting Cardinal Ataviani's mind at ease over the new mass, after, and, you know, his objections after the publication uh, of the Cardinal's letter in France, you know, you know that he signed a document saying that, you know, he was okay with it and everything was okay. So is that true? Is that not true, Father? Well, that was, that was a story that
1: was spread, but uh, in when I actually... Um, uh researched it in connection with the translation that I did new English translation I did of the Ottaviani intervention into english uh, The story was uh, uh, concocted and uh, uh basically false Otaviani uh, by that point was blind and um uh, there was a, a letter he supposedly sent to a, um, a French publication uh, trying to assure them that, no, he saw no real problems with uh, the new mass. But the suspicion, and I demonstrate this, uh, demonstrated this in, in my uh, preface to the uh, Taviani intervention, I think uh, uh, that the story simply was not credible because uh, one of the secretary, or uh, Taviani's secretary, had actually been involved in the creation of the new mass. And um, the uh, reasonable speculation is that he um, uh, had the cardinal sign something telling him it was one thing, when in fact uh, it, it was it didn't represent the cardinal's ideas, but um, this particular priest's ideas,
0: this Monsignor's ideas. So, at this point... Let's go ahead and move into, I guess, the the, in the substance of the chapter title, which is the um, you know the cleverness of the revisers. And you highlight a, a substantial part of this chapter about the new Ford and the general instruction of the Roman missile. And. Of course, I had to laugh because you know, in your, in your usual humor, you know, the, you know, the first paragraph of this book, you say that if a reader contacted the director of worship at their local Novus Ordo temple, who is most assuredly a she and probably an ex-nun, and asked to see an altar missile, to find some, some kind of incriminating evidence in the germ, that they're going to be mystified, and they're going to be somewhat disappointed, because they're going to be flooded with these traditional-sounding reassurances that the missile they hold in their hand... Um, is a faithful instrument about bringing about the sacrifice of Calvary as defined in Trent, and it, it's really going to, you know, bombard the person with, with the idea that you know everything is okay. Um, I find it rather peculiar that there's a Ford in the missile, which is supposed to stand on its own merit. I mean, why would that be in there in the first place to to say, well, you know, everything you hold in your hand is just fine. You know that well. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me.
1: no it doesn't but the origin of it is is, uh, the historical origin is that um, with these adverse reactions to the uh, institution of uh, the new mass once the Isaviani intervention came out um... the um, the dispute over it was such that they fear that even the statements of paul the Sixth that he had made Uh, during his general audiences, were not enough to tamp down the objections to it. So, uh, someone in the Vatican came up with the idea of writing a foreword to the general instruction, which uh, tried to reassure readers that, uh, you know, everything was okay with the new missile doctrinally. So, uh, there was some talk about Paul VI writing an encyclical, uh, but eventually they decided on a foreword. So you had the initial document, the general instruction of the Roman Missal. Uh, and uh, before that, then you had the forward, which was supposed to give you um, this, this uh, reassurance, doctrinal reassurance that uh, everything was OK. So that was, the, essentially was the, the origin of it.
0: So um, in looking at this, I think one of your most powerful sentences in this entire section, I mean, it, it, was, it was really gripping because you know, it sums up in a very, very succinct way every problem with this. And you say that you know, this, um, this new Ford quote tries to superimpose Catholic Eucharistic theology on a right based upon a different theology altogether, and it fails. I, I found that very powerful, because it's short, it's sweet, it's to the point, and I think it covers it, it and it, it also shows the reader of the book that this is a different religion, and this is a different, this is a different theology of mass altogether, which is what we should be focusing on. Indeed. Um,
1: and once again, it's the trick of uh, pretending that uh, words cure reality. And it's the same thing with the hermeneutic of continuity, it's the same thing with Paul VI's addresses uh, in um, defense of the new mass in November 1969, that they um, uh, utter words that um, have no connection
0: with reality. Mm -hmm. So I was hoping, Father, you could talk a little bit about the sneakiness of the language in this document. You, You talk about these constant tips of the Beretta towards Trent and the sacrificial nature of the mass. That all sounds great. Father, what's, uh, what's the problem with this language?
1: Well, the, the, uh, uh, first and foremost, obviously, the underlying rite is changed, uh, is not changed. Uh, and uh, the old theology is, or rather the new theology, is uh, uh, still there. So you you have the use of, uh, in the forward of this uh, Tridentine language on the, the nature of the Mass, on the priesthood, uh, it, it even, I believe, mentions transubstantiation, which you know, is, I guess, quite surprising, all things considered. But uh, it, the uh, idea is that there is no connection with r- r- reality, A. And B, it still does not um, uh, deny or do away with the uh, new theology that <laughs> the new right is based on. So you, um, it's, it's something that is, is
0: disconnected, as it
1: were, with uh, reality.
0: So uh, I guess you could say that really what it's trying to do is sort of dull the readers to what's really going on. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly the point,
1: that people s- figure that, well, uh, this introduction says it, so uh, it must be true. You know, I'm not a liturgist, as someone famous uh, might add. Who am I to judge? Okay, so that's what you—that's uh, what you have. That the people will nod their heads and figure that the language uh, represents the reality when it doesn't.
0: There's a part of this too that you talk about the—that the, um, the Ford has this um, this supposed um, reaffirmation of the priesthood. Um, you have know, the text still equates presidency, you know, the, the the priest presiding with the offering of the sacrifice, you know, in the person of Christ, and you say that it's a lie to say that the priest has a more prominent role in the Novus Ordo, considering that the whole show begins with you know, lay lectors, commentators, cantors, etc., doing what the priest used to do. So again, this is this is just more nonsense, and you can see this real devious streak in the wording of this. Uh, yes, and and they. Um, Adduced uh, uh,
1: one proof about for the um, uh, constant reaffirmation of the priesthood, as they said in in uh, the uh, new rite of the mass, and to do this they talked about the uh, uh, preface for the uh, mass of the rite of episcopal consecration. So they specifically cited this, but that is absurd because. Uh, it's hardly a constant uh, reaffirmation, A, because it's only recited by the bishop on uh, Holy Thursday when he consecrates the chrism. So that's not exactly happening uh, every week. And then if you go and look up the text, and you'll find this with many um, documents that uh, issued forth from uh, the Second Vatican Council and thereafter, that um, the text that uh, is cited actually says something. Uh, uh quite different from um, what it's it's being uh, proposed to prove so this this one uh this particular text starts out with uh, the idea of the the uh, priesthood of uh, the people of god and then kind of goes up from there so uh, it's it's got things turned over but that is not surprising so th- we have in the uh, the forward then, these uh, false and these spurious uh, proofs for the existence of theology in the modern mass it simply isn't there.
0: It also talks about this idea of um, um, a witness to tradition, you know, that, that terminology is used. And I think this is just another step in, in trying to smooth things over in harmony with tradition. And they made this effort to try to tie St. Pius V and Vatican II together. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yet the um, uh,
1: the forward talks about uh, the Pius the the uh, fifth and and uh, his work on the um, organization of the missile and says that well that uh, Paul the uh, sixth used a similar language to Pius the fifth. Uh, when he promulgated this missile, and then the conclusion that it seems to jump to from there is that well, they're basically the same thing because they use the same language, and again, we're back to the hermeneutic of continuity problem. That um, uh, simply using the same language does not um, uh, change the differences in uh, in reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, this, you know, this is. Um... Paragraph seven through nine in the Ford it, it says and this is this is almost too too much to stomach here, but you know I have to read it for the sake of our audience. It says that you know the new mass is a product of scholars who studied the ancient rites and restored them to us which, you know, makes me want to roll my eyes and just throw up. But anyway, I was hoping you could explain this, as you describe it, this spirit of Lutheran Cranmer in this notion of restoration of antiquity. Well, it was,
1: it was repeated over and over throughout the liturgical revolution that we're getting antiquity restored. But um, uh, the fact of the matter is that, that Dom Granger, the great Benedictine liturgist in, in, in France, the founder of the liturgical movement, in fact, in the 1840s, said that uh, the uh, adepts, the, the adherents of the anti-liturgical heresy, um, the heretics in history always make this claim, that they're uh, vindicating the rights of, the rights of uh, antiquity and restoring a primitive Christian liturgical practice. But uh, in, in, in fact, what they're simply doing is they are uh, simply creating something new and pretending that it's old. And that, of course, was the, the uh, trick with the um, uh, Protestant revolutionaries, uh, Luther, Cranmer, Calvin, and so on, who butchered the Catholic liturgy. And that certainly was the case here. That has been, it's uh, been repeatedly demonstrated, and uh, I go into this in, in some detail in, in the book, about uh, there not uh, uh, being a real connection in terms of reality between primitive uh, Christian liturgical practices, to the extent that we know them, and the reforms of uh, Paul VI. There are claims made for this, but um, uh, certainly this was not something that actually was done. In the case of the most um, ancient uh, prayers of the uh, Church's liturgy, uh, the uh, collects, which are recited on Good Friday, in the new missal, these were absolutely butchered. Even though they are the most ancient Christian prayers, uh, the and you can go through the uh, new mass and time and time again where you see something, some feature uh, being claimed to have been a uh, uh, right. Uh, or prayer exercise somehow in Christian antiquity. When you look at it closely, you know, you'll find that uh, it, in fact, is not. They would never take uh, uh, an ancient rite, a part of an ancient rite that they perceived to be in conflict with modernist theology. Those ideas uh, absolutely had to disappear. So, you had an, uh, uh, on one hand, you had this, this uh, idea of uh, this claim that we're restoring the way things were liturgically in antiquity. And on the other hand, uh, you have them saying, well, we're uh, updating things and accommodating them to the modern world. So, you can get away with anything if you do that.
0: Just as a point of reference as to where we find ourselves right now, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like any longer, particularly since Bergoglio took over, uh, that, that we're going to see any efforts made any longer to try to somehow equate the new mass with ancient tradition. I think they're very happy now to just say, no, it's not ancient tradition, and we're very happy that it's not. Uh, this, is a, this is an interesting shift. I mean, it's sort of like the mask has finally been torn off here now.
1: Uh, they fi- I think they finally admitted it and mm-hmm. that uh, you, you can't make a credible defense of the new Mass as a restoration of antiquity. You simply can't. I mean, there's no evidence uh, for that, that lie has been refuted ages ago. Uh, the, those who are really in favor of the uh, new liturgy, the new way of worship, look upon Vatican II as, as a... Um, uh, evolutionary break with the past from a liturgical point of view, and uh, you know, as an improvement, but certainly not as as something that is uh, consistent with the practices of uh, uh, perceived practices of antiquity. I mean, if you had that, you'd have a you'd have the penitents, people who were. Uh, guilty of grave sins, they'd be cast out of the church at the beginning of Advent. There'd be a curtain down the center of the church, separating the men from the women. That if, say, you had um, uh, communion in the hand, well, you would have to, the women. Women could not uh, be permitted to touch it directly, but would have to have a piece of cloth on their hands. Imagine, you know, how the. Ladies' liturgy, Soviet at your local suburban parish would uh, uh, how that would go over with them. So it's it's Mm -hmm. um, uh, it is a question here of of, uh, uh, pick and choose. But most uh, I would say most people who are really into the uh, modern liturgy would agree that there is in fact uh, a substantial break with the past that we're beyond all of that. We've evolved into something else now.
0: Well, for those of you who are just joining us, you are listening to Work of Human Hands on the Restoration Radio Network, brought to you by Roman Catholic Archive. I am your host, Justin Soder, and this evening, as always, I'm joined by my father, Anthony Chicata, the assistant pastor of St. Gertrude the Great Catholic Church in Westchester, Ohio, and author of the book, Work of Human Hands, which we are speaking of this evening. Tonight we've been talking about the Ataviani intervention. We've been talking about the new Ford or the... Uh, the revised Forward of the general instruction 1969 we're getting ready to move into the changes in the instruction itself we'd like to remind you that work of human hands is a production of the restoration radio network all rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to us at, at org. so father as i just said let's let's talk about the changes in the instruction itself now you you say in this, this chapter that there were, there were Herculean efforts here to try to tridentinize the, the new mass and the Protestant modernist theology behind that. Could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Well, the
1: objections of the Ottaviani intervention had to be answered and had to be dealt with. And um, so the question was how, um, how best to do that. So you have this... this um, a forward, which tries to uh, put on a happy face uh, for the whole production of the New Mass, but uh, you still had the incriminating text in the general instruction. Now, uh, the, you couldn't just throw out the general instruction, uh, because that would be an admission that the uh, critiques that it contained were, uh, were valid and, and uh, were on point. So, you had to do something with the text event to um, uh, mollify the critics, uh, to give some sort of an appearance of uh, continuity with the past. So, you, you, you had to do something with the language. And one of the uh, commentators, one of the liberal commentators on this, an English priest Father Charles uh, Coughlin, uh, said that... Um, he was an English uh, liturgist, uh, not to be confused with the the American father, Coughlin, and uh, Coughlin said that uh, what the revisers did was to attempt to um, put in a Tridentine term wherever an incriminating term appeared. So the the passages that were the most objected to were uh, revised slightly. By uh, attempting to add some uh, Tridentine theology. Mm-hmm. Now this this uh, t- is, is is an interesting um, uh, phenomenon to contemplate because it is very difficult to find a copy of the uh, 1969 General Instruction. Uh, fortunately, uh, it. The Latin version, uh, I was able to get the Latin version of it published on the, on the Internet. So that exists somewhere on the Internet, and it's accessible. As far as vernacular versions of it, uh, you're not going to uh, find a continuous, the continuous vernacular um, translation of the 1969 General Instruction. Uh, because it, it is copyrighted by ICEL, the International Commission in English uh, in the Liturgy. Uh, and since this is an uh, institution that's very much, much tied into the uh, uh, Novus Ordo Church, they're, uh, even though they're, they're, uh, uh, those who now supervise it are quite a bit uh, more conservative, um, when it comes to liturgical practices, they obviously would hesitate uh, uh, to give permission to uh, print the English version of that on the internet. So it's something that's that's uh, uh, difficult to find. The only way really to get it is um, uh, you have to do a process of comparison in English. There's a, a book called Documents on the Liturgy put out by the uh, Liturgical Press in Collegeville. And, in the version of the general instruction that you find in documents of the liturgy, they indicate the variant readings in the footnotes so that's the only way you can get it in English, as I say, you can find the Latin original on uh, the internet. but most people uh, reading the um, uh, version the nineteen 19- uh, the, the revised version of the general instruction seventy seventy five, and then uh, uh, even in the two thousand two missile, will not notice the
0: difference. You speak about the problematic language of the changes, and that uh, and you start with with the definition of the mass, which really isn't a definition. It, it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't define anything. So, um, for example, it says um, this is the quote unquote definition of the mass at mass, not the mass is. It's not defining anything. That's problematic. This was extremely uh, incriminating.
1: And the men who were involved admitted that this was was uh, phrased in, in uh, ecumenical language, this idea of the the, the uh, Lord's Supper so they, they, they flipped the terms and they began by saying at mass so they turned it into kind of a description rather than a uh, a definition of the mass and they tried to um weasel uh, out of the problems with the original working definition that they had by turning it into sort of a description so that was uh, that was how they handled uh, that particular uh phrase And uh, instead of beginning with the Lord's Supper, which it originally began with, they mentioned the Mass first. And they added uh, the idea of the priestess is acting in the person of Christ, which is the um, uh, traditional formulation, to celebrate the memorial of the Lord. And we pointed out that that was a... um, uh, protestant and ecumenical term that could go either way or eucharistic sacrifice so they the the addition was or eucharistic sacrifice and then they um added a uh phrase to the definition about the, the mass perpetuating the sacrifice of the cross christ is really present uh but they say again he's present in the assembly right and uh, in the person of the minister, in Christ's word, and substantially and permanently under the Eucharistic elements. So they try to, they try to uh, correct the
0: uh, original problem by adding that language. And when you look at some of, the, uh, some of the wording, you point out that the word or connects memorial of the Lord and Eucharistic sacrifice. So it's an either or. It's either the memorial of the Lord or you can call it the Eucharistic sacrifice. Yeah, pick one or pick two.
1: You know, those are your your two options. If you uh, have the um, the new theology, this dynamic new existentialist theology of Vatican II, you you pick the first one. Uh, If you have the the desiccated, um, uh, discredited, um, neo-Thomas, pre-Vatican II theology of the Council of
0: Trent, well, you pick the second one. So those are your two options, option A and option B. Father, what are Catholics to think about the use of the terminology "the Last Supper"? How would you approach that?
1: Well, in the uh, classic Protestant phrase is the Lord's Supper, and uh, that is an aspect of the Eucharist because there's a communion part of uh, the Mass, and uh, uh, that what is going on there is what went on at the um, at the Last Supper. But um, the idea here is, by using the term uh, Lord's Supper, uh, the uh, desire is to pick a, a term that is uh, sufficiently, uh, let's say, uh, uh, low-octane in terms of Catholic theology uh, in order to uh, promote uh, other theological ideas, either ecumenical theology of the Mass or uh, the modernist notion of uh, the Mass as, as this, this uh, uh, group of the people of God who get together and eat. So by picking the lower octane
0: term, that's what you achieve. Mm-hmm. You also say in there that um, you highlight the phrase the Last Supper of Christ instituted the Paschal meal. You say, no, it didn't. That's not right. Why is that not right? Well, the... Uh, idea is uh, the idea here is that
1: the uh, the sacrifice is connected with uh, the cross and the, the idea of the Paschal meal again uh, the way that it's it's uh, fit in here is to uh, you know draw attention uh, draw attention away from the sacrificial uh, nature of the mass. So they put in there as well the idea of. Uh, of uh, um, uh, uh, there's an allusion to the relationship between the Mass and the sacrifice of the cross, and they replaced the idea of a commemoration with a sacrifice and uh, the uh, Paschal meal. But what they omitted is the notion of the Mass as a sacrifice of propitiation, making satis- satisfaction for sin. And that's the, um, if you read uh, the pre-Vatican II uh, liturgical commentators, even ones who uh, favored the uh, changes in the Catholic liturgy, such as, as Joseph Jungmann, uh, who actually worked on the Novo Ordo Missae, he said that it was the sacrifice of propitiation that was the great stumbling block to, uh, to ecumenism. So uh, there's, uh, there's that, and the um, uh, idea of the Paschal mystery is uh, uh, substituted here, or is, is uh, put in here as, as uh, something else that is an alternative formulation to the idea of the sacrifice of, um, uh, masses is a sacrifice of propitiation. So you have it covered over with this, this layer of um, language which is intended to confuse
0: Catholic theology. There were some other revisions in the instruction um, that that you speak about in this chapter um, that maybe you can talk a little bit about here, such as things as the uh, you know, the tabernacle being exiled to a side chapel, and now we have optional bells and incense at the elevation. Uh, do you want to go into some of those, Father? Well, yeah, the, the uh... <sighs> because of the complaints, a number
1: of um, uh, traditional practices, or a few of them, were put back in. You know, there's no mention of bells, so that uh, uh, that went back in. And there are a few other minor points like that that were, uh, to be as it were, SOPs to the, um, uh, the conservatives and, and to the objectors. As we'll talk about in one of the, the subsequent um, One of our subsequent shows, the the um, uh, you had this this exile of of the tabernacle from the altar where mass was offered to uh, another place, to in effect a hiding place somewhere else. So uh, that has, uh, as we'll see, a certain theological uh, significance. So there there were uh, a number of uh, 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 small rubrical uh,
0: details that. Um, were added, but nothing really sufficient. You know, I have an interesting story about seeing the tabernacle sent to the side chapel. There's a place not too far from the seminary called St. Leo's Abbey. I'm sure you've heard of it, Father. Oh, yes. And, um, <clears throat> you know, when you walk in there, I remember going in there years ago, You know, and it may have changed now recently because I know they did some you know, huge you know, renovation on the church there, but I couldn't find the tabernacle. I was walking around looking and looking and looking. I, you know, I couldn't see it. There was sanctuary lamp. No, you know, so... I walked into the side chapel, and there, literally, behind bars, was the tabernacle with a, with a one-person kneeler in front of it. Behind bars. So, you know, we talk about the exile. I don't think you can get more exile than that. Yeah. <laughs> talk
1: about symbolism of the liturgical environment, Boy,
0: right? Boy, no kidding. I mean, you know, a uh, you know, picture speaks a thousand words. That was pretty amazing <laughs> to see that. And, of course, I'm sure they're being faithful to the instruction, right?
1: Oh, yeah, and uh, that is part, uh, you know, that's part of very much the part of the new theology, that it's not intended to be in the sanctuary of the Church anymore. Uh, Hmm. uh, Anywhere where it can
0: uh, interfere with the participation of the living
1: assembly, as they call it.
0: You know, possibly the most damaging part, and you know, like I said before earlier in the program, you know we discussed the deregulation of the liturgy. I think it was in show two or it was in show three. I can't I can't recall off the top of my head. But it, you, know, you say this changed instruction here allow for the deregulation of the liturgy, which really destroys the unity of the church's official prayer. So I would advise listeners to go back and listen to that because it's very powerful when when Father speaks about this about how damaging the in the deregulation was, and it really explains why when you, you, know, you can bounce back and forth from you know your your local suburban parish, you know uh, there may be three or four in your town, and all three or four are doing different things.
1: Uh, so yes, that's, uh, I would recommend uh, to go back. That's and exactly that. it, and that that I'm sure has been everyone's experience. When you walk into a new parish, you never know what to expect. I mean, you can have a you could have a mariachi mass. You could have uh, something that's sort of high church and Latin. Uh, you could have, you know, Lutheran chorales if, if uh, the, the mood strikes the organist right. Uh, you could walk, it could be a life teen mass with um, uh, rock and roll. Uh, or it could be, you know, hey, my ethnicity is, is Slovene. So you could walk into a, a Slovene church and you could run into a polka mass. They can be doing roll out the barrel or roll out the deacon or whatever they do and uh, complete with an umpa band and accordions. So, but this is all part of the deregulated liturgy. And um, it has a really corrosive effect uh, long-term on Catholic doctrine because it, it ends up destroying the, uh, the, the lex. Uh, credendi, the law of believing, because the, the law of praying is no longer the same. So that's deregulation for you. And they've got it in spades.
0: Well, Father, that brings us to the end of our program this evening. But before we do, I, I want to give you the chance to give your overall summary of the central theme of this chapter, you know, what you'd like them to think about as they read it. Well, the, the, this was a clear attempt to try to cover over
1: the uh, doctrinal and, and uh, let us say, moral problems in terms of, of uh, reverence that uh, were institutionalized by uh, the uh, new, or, new Order of Mass that Paul VI uh, promulgated. So the, the, the whole general instruction was involved with this uh, uh, papering over uh, It was an attempt to, as we said, to superimpose a Catholic uh, Catholic theology on a non-Catholic right. It didn't succeed in doing that because uh, you're still presented with uh, two visions of the Mass equally acceptable. One is... Um, you could say that maybe it's a propitiatory sacrifice, you have an ordained priest, Christ is present of the species of bread and wine through transubstantiation, or that you can say, on the other hand, that, well, it's just an assembly, it's a memorial representation of the Last Supper, the priest is a presider, he's a director, it can go either way. It can go either way. So that is, is a part of the genius of the modernists who put this thing together. And then the um, the really... A killer statement I I, uh, came across uh, was uh, one made several years after the liturgical reform uh, by um, uh, a liturgist named Langling, uh, a German who worked on the uh, uh, liturgical changes, and he said that, well, uh, the uh, original theology of the Missal was uh, ecumenically oriented, and uh, you had this different celebration of uh, the Mass. And, the, and this was presented in the 1969 General Instruction. But he said that the, despite the, the new edition that they put out in uh, 1970, that the Taviani and company forced, um, the revisers were very clever. And they were clever enough as to avoid getting us into the, what he called, as I recall, the Gasa. The dead end in German of uh, the uh, Trident theories of sacrifice, so uh, and he also said that it, it, it corresponds to this new ecumenical theology of the mass, so uh, in the long run, the modernists like this, who wanted a modernist and ecumenical liturgy, uh, they managed to uh, they really managed to get their way and they succeeded with this uh, 1970 uh, general instruction and the most important thing to point out i think is this that uh, the general instruction uh, was uh, changed in, in 1970 however absolutely nothing was done to the order of mass itself which of course uh, which was based on this this Uh, neo-modernist and this uh, protestant theology so um, it's uh, as if uh, an architect who had uh, uh, designed a building that turned out to be falling apart once you put it up that um, he was reproached for his, his awful plans for this building that was falling down. And then he got out a set of blueprints, and he made a few alterations on the blueprints and put them back in the drawer. The building hmm. is still falling down. And that's what happens with the whole adventure of the 1970 general instruction. They changed the blueprints, but the, the uh, careening building uh, of the Novus Ordo Mise is still there.
0: Well, folks, thanks so much for giving us some of your time this evening and these this great razor sharp commentary on this subject. You know, I, I was telling you before the show, with each successive chapter I read, I, I'm just thoroughly impressed with the insane amount of research that that you, know, you have done in this book and the you know, the citations you give. I mean, I would tell our listeners that if you haven't picked up this book, definitely pick it up. It is just tremendous. If you are at all interested in how we got where we are, and you want to know the real theology behind the new mass. This book is this book is second to none. And of course, like Father said at the top of the show, you know he's trying to reprint it. So watch your emails. I, I would just add to what you said about the, the, your favorable comments on the book
1: that um, uh, since it's on the in, index at the Josephineum and in the Hell section, <laughs> you can also get the. Uh, uh, the wonderful thrill of transgressive behavior by buying the book and by reading it during the summer. So, uh, and you can order it from sggresources.org and if necessary, we will send it in a brown paper wrapper with no return address to you. Uh, that said, on sggresources, uh, we've uh, got a couple of things. We've got a... Um, uh, Uh, We are running here at uh, St. Gertrude uh, the Great, um, a uh, 13 Tuesdays devotion in honor of St. Anthony, and there's uh, uh, a way that you can uh, um, uh, send in your intentions to this uh, uh, great devotion to uh, St. Anthony that uh, occurs beginning the Tuesday after his feast. You can send in your intentions, and we will send you a, a booklet, a very nice booklet, of the devotions that uh, we use here. So you can find that on SGG Resources. You can also find a a way to uh, enroll your fathers in our special Father's Day Mass, which will take place uh, this Sunday at our 9 a.m. High Mass. Also, I would uh, point out to those of you who uh, are on our uh, mailing list that the um, Society of St. Pius X today put out a... um, uh, an email promoting an article on the, the new right of Episcopal consecration and uh, this was a uh, article that they had commissioned to be uh, written in 2005 when they were beginning their uh, negotiations again uh, the eternal negotiations it seems with the Vatican about uh, trying to get reincorporated, uh, the uh, conciliar church. So they had a, uh, a priest in Europe um, uh, write an article defending the validity of the new rite of, Paul, of uh, consecration of Paul VI. Um, I wrote a uh, response to that article, and uh, that is also uh, available my uh, response on my Quidly, but, uh blog. And uh, if you're on our mailing list, you will have received a, a mailing with links to that article on a very important issue. So there's uh, plenty to read. Theological and, also, and transgressive. When
0: I, you know, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, you also did an interview uh, with, uh, with Stephen Heiner a couple of years ago on the, on the New Rite of Episcopal Consecration, and that's available for free on uh, YouTube, so you can check that out as well. Uh, yes, that, that's you know, right. Father goes into great detail about that as well. So, Well, Father, thanks for your time, and uh, enjoy your next month off. We'll, we will talk to you again in August and pick up on Chapter 7, and uh, we, we appreciate the time you set aside for us this evening.
1: We will try to be well-rested, and uh, well-rested rested and fit to go, as they would say. So, in
0: any event, God bless <laughs> thanks, you all. Thanks so much, Father. God bless. Bye-bye. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful, or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you would please consider making whatever donation is possible to our apostolate, no matter how small it may be. To those of you who have donated, a heartfelt thank you for your kindness and generosity. Remember that above and beyond material contribution is the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time that you pray. If you have any questions or comments, or if you would like to reproduce our copyrighted work on your channel in some format, you can email us at mail at truerestoration.org. For The Restoration, I am Justin Soder, and may God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's watch.org.